this is the Malcolm X lecture, and we will get right into it. The story of Malcolm X. Born Malcolm Little in Omaha, Nebraska, 1925, his mother was from Granada, and his father was from Georgia. Malcolm X was the fourth of seven children. His father was a Baptist lay speaker, and both of his parents were big followers of the Pan-African activist Marcus Garvey. Um, his father was a local leader for Marcus Garvey's cause, the UNIA, or the Universal Negro Improvement Association. Malcolm's parents always wanted to instill black pride in him. Uh, four of Malcolm's uncles were killed by racist white violence during the early 1900s. Because of the Ku Klux Klan threats against Malcolm's family, uh, based off of Malcolm's parents' position in the church and their beliefs and followings of the teachings of Marcus Garvey, his family had moved to Milwaukee for a brief period before eventually settling in Michigan. Everywhere the family went, they were harassed by white supremacist groups, either the Black Legion or the KKK. The Black Legion initially was a part of the KKK, but they broke off and dominated the Midwest, and one of the leaders of the Black Legion was also the police chief for Detroit during the 1930s, which is the time uh, Malcolm would have been in Detroit, Michigan. In 1929, uh, the home of Malcolm was burned and it was believed to be at the hands of the Black Legion. And the Black Legion would go on to harass and attack Malcolm and his family. When Malcolm was six, his father died in what was ruled as a streetcar accident, but the family believed the Black Legion killed him. White bystanders stayed silent and black bystanders were scared into silence. And just a note, the Black Legion was responsible for over 50 murders and assassinations of black people during the 1930s. After a dispute with insurance companies and creditors, Malcolm's mother received the smaller of two life insurance policies. Uh, the insurance companies reneged on their policies citing that the death was ruled a suicide and therefore cannot be paid out at all or in full. And just to kind of uh, synthesize all of our, our class material, this is how language has been used against the poor and people of color to marginalize them and steal from them. Um, this, this controlling, powerful language that we talked about um, when, we, when we read Morrison. To make ends meet, Malcolm's mother rented out her garden for people to grow crops, and her boys, Malcolm included, hunted game so they could sell around town. But when Malcolm was 12, his mother met a man, and she believed that they would eventually get married. Uh, they were a very serious couple, and she eventually got pregnant by the man, but as soon as she got pregnant, he disappeared. And shortly after having the baby, Malcolm's mother had a nervous breakdown. You know, she was poor, without options or opportunity. Uh, she had seven children, 
well, no, I'm sorry, eight children to feed. Uh, and, you know, these are the types of stories that, that media and politicians will use against the black community and, and communities of color without really telling the complete story of how these families have gotten to this point. Um, pardon my allergies. Uh, this, this fire weather is killing me. Uh, Malcolm's mother was committed to the Kalamazoo Mental Institution, and Malcolm and all of his siblings were separated in foster care. And I think this is where we see things to start to turn for the worse for Malcolm. Though Malcolm excelled in middle school and wanted to be a lawyer, he eventually dropped out during the eighth grade after his teacher told him that practicing law was no no realistic goal for a nigger. And I just want to point out, Think about what Malcolm X accomplished with an eighth grade education. Not only what he did for himself, but what he did for others, for his community, for uh, the community at large. Uh, it's it's absolutely inspiring, uh, and I, I hope I hope some of you, or, or at least I hope many of you, see that you know, and 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 use that as motivation for yourselves to excel you know there is there's nothing that can prohibit you but yourself uh, but I digress uh, from the time Malcolm dropped out at the eighth grade to the, about the, the age of 18 he moved around a lot uh, first he was living in Boston with his half-sister and then he moved to Flint Michigan for a little bit mainly just working labor jobs making money where he could you know any and everything he could he could really get his hands on at the time being a young kid, a young black kid in the uh, 1940s. At 18, he settled in Harlem, um, which was at the time a growing, thriving community for black people. Uh, And it was also here that Malcolm really began to go, undergo a huge life shift and change and it was a a shift to a life of crime. By 1943, Malcolm had begun drug dealing, gambling, racketeering, robbery, pimping, and even prostitution. During his time um, and his life of crime, he actually met a, a really famous man named John Sanford. Uh, though John wasn't famous at the time, they struck up a, a friendship. Uh, they bonded over the fact that as black men, they both had reddish hair. John wanted to be a comedian, and he would eventually become the famous comedian and actor, Red Fox. Uh, as is often customary with friends, they gave each other nicknames. Malcolm called John Chicago Red, and John called Malcolm Detroit Red. And this this nickname, this Detroit Red nickname, really became somewhat of an alter ego or at least a a sign of, of a changing uh, man, you know, a time period that he probably would wish to forget. You know, Detroit Red was Malcolm's life of crime. That's who he was during the time period, but it did it doesn't fully encapsulate who Malcolm was. Uh, Malcolm was summoned by the military for World War II, uh, and upon his summons, he gave the military this statement. 
I want to be sent down south, organize them nigger soldiers, steal some guns, and kill us some crackers. He was mentally disqualified from service because of that, uh, which was a practice that many uh, African-American males used to uh, dodge the military. Malcolm returned to Boston and along with four partners that he met uh, while he was in Boston again, they began a string of home invasion robberies. Uh, And they were quite successful for a while, at least until 1946 when Malcolm was arrested in connection with the robberies and he was sentenced to eight to ten years in Charleston State Prison. And this is where we see yet another shift and change for Malcolm, for his life. While in prison, Malcolm meets a man named John Bembry. Uh, One of the biggest things that Malcolm noticed about Bembry was that uh, Bembry was the first black man Malcolm had ever seen to command total respect from people just with words. And this is the beginning and the early years of the birth of Malcolm X. Malcolm's siblings began writing to him in prison. They started to mention the Nation of Islam, also referred to as NOA, which was a new movement of the time. And they preached black self-reliance. And like Garvey, They preached a return to Africa, free from white and European rule. Their belief system was structured around the Muslim uh, faith and religion. The teachings preached the idea that white people were little devils. And for Malcolm, in his life, he noticed that all of his encounters or relationships with whites had been tainted by dishonesty, hate, and greed. So these teachings that the Nation of Islam preached were something that he could relate to, he could buy into. Um, Once Malcolm got into the Nation of Islam and and started to study them more and read their teachings, Malcolm quit, quit smoking and quit eating pork. After writing to Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the Nation of Islam at the time in 1948, Elijah encouraged Malcolm to renounce his past and make a vow to Allah and to himself to never return to destructive behavior. In 1950, Malcolm wrote from prison to then-President Harry Truman. Malcolm wrote about his opposition to the Korean War, labeling himself a communist. Because communism was such a large fear for America, and and to some degree still is, not only did the FBI begin their file on Malcolm Little, but it was the first time on record that Malcolm ever referred to himself as Malcolm X. And man, talk about a boss-ass move. The first time you decide to create a new name for yourself, you send it in a letter to a president? Ah, I wish I had the balls, man. He changed his name to Malcolm X because once you join the Nation of Islam, 
you are asked to leave your slave name behind. The X is not a last name, but it represents the last name of African ancestry that uh, African Americans will ever know. Will never know. I'm sorry. And here we start the rise of Malcolm X. In 1952, Malcolm X got out of prison on parole and went to visit Elijah Muhammad in Chicago. The following year, Malcolm was named the assistant minister for the Detroit chapter of the Nation of Islam. Within a year, Malcolm would open up chapters in Boston, Philadelphia, and Harlem, dramatically increasing the followers of the Nation of Islam. The FBI's file grew as Malcolm's popularity grew. Within another year, 1954, Malcolm opened chapters in Springfield, Hartford, and Atlanta. Hundreds of followers were joining every month. A lot of it had to do with the fact that Malcolm was a great speaker, and he was an an imposing figure standing at 6'3". He was described as being mesmerizingly handsome, well-dressed, and impeccably groomed. And if you take a look at the pictures, man, he's got a wonderful smile, a warming smile. In 1955, he met Betty Sanders. They sparked an interest in each other, and she began attending all of his lectures, eventually joining the Nation of Islam in 1956. Because one-on-one dating is prohibited in the nation, most of their courtship was done at group events, lectures, and over phone calls. He proposed to Betty in 1958, and they would go on to have six girls. During the 1950s and 60s, Malcolm X was largely responsible for the nation growing from followers numbering around 1,000 to the nation growing to numbers of approximately 75,000 plus. And most of that growth was done in the first five years of his involvement. Where when Malcolm X rose to to national attention and acclaim was on April 26, 1957. Hinton Johnson, a member of the nation, as well as a couple of other members of the nation, saw two New York Police Department officers beating a black man with nightsticks. Uh, wanting to stop and intervene, Hinton yelled at the cops, Stop! This isn't Alabama, it's New York. And the officers decided to turn their attention on Hinton and his friends. Friends alerted Malcolm X, uh, and what happened next really put Malcolm on the national stage. And here I provided a video reenactment uh, from the film Malcolm X, uh, who was played by the ever so amazing Denzel Washington. So please take a look at the video. Malcolm X preached the nation's teachings from 1952 to 1964, um, at which time Malcolm separated from the nation. Some of those teachings include the ideas that blacks are the original people of the world, whites are the devil, blacks are superior to whites, and the white demise is imminent. During this period of time, Malcolm X was viewed as a black supremacist and an anti-Semitic. 
though it's, it's popularly known that Malcolm and MLK had issues, it was more so that Malcolm didn't approve of the tactics of other civil rights leaders like MLK. He did call him a chump. Uh, he called the March on Washington the farce on Washington. And his issue with it was is he didn't understand how blacks could be excited about a demonstration run by whites in front of a statue of a president who has been dead for a hundred years and who didn't like us when he was alive. Um, and I know they've always been referred to as enemies. There was no real hatred between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. They just didn't share the same vision on how to reach their common goal. Malcolm X felt that blacks should advance themselves in life by any means necessary. He valued equality, freedom, respect, and black self-reliance. Uh, but he never valued violence. He, he viewed violence as a, a means to an end, as a way to protect the self from the violence of others. Uh, and here we find the beginning of the fall of Malcolm X. And yes, his rise and his fall was rather, was rather quick. Uh, Malcolm's fall came with, with his fame. He became the face of the nation of Islam, even though he wasn't the leader of the nation, which caused issues between uh, he and the leader, Elijah Muhammad. Uh, he, Malcolm X mentored the, lead, the, the current leader of the Nation of Islam, Louis Farrakhan, but Farrakhan eventually turned on Malcolm. In fact, when Malcolm left the Nation of Islam, Farrakhan was quoted as saying, such a man as Malcolm is worthy of death. But there are three critical events that we can target that led to Malcolm X's departure and his eventual assassination. The first is the forced sex and affairs of Elijah Muhammad. The second is the LAPD violence against a Nation of Islam mosque. And the third, and a part of what you're reading this week, is his pilgrimage to Mecca. His pilgrimage is where we find a new Malcolm and an at-peace Malcolm. So the Elijah Muhammad sex scandal. Uh, through testimonies and investigation, Malcolm X discovered that his leader and mentor, Elijah Muhammad, had a long history of sexually assaulting and fornicating with his female workers and secretaries, many of which he impregnated. Uh, Elijah Muhammad had eight children by six different women. Many of the women were often exiled or kept quiet to protect the legacy of Elijah Muhammad and the nation's reputation. Malcolm opposed this because it uh, was contradictory of the teachings of the nation of Islam. But when he confronted Elijah about it, Elijah was rumored to have responded, it is the right of a prophet. The LAPD violence against a Nation of Islam mosque. During a Nation of Islam meeting in Watts, LAPD approached and harassed members of the Nation of Islam who were standing outside the mosque. 
the interaction between the officers and the members escalated to LAPD officers calling in more cars and eventually firing nearly 100 rounds into the mosque, killing numerous members, and some were found killed execution style. And what I mean by execution style, I mean on their knees, shot in the back of the head. The Nation of Islam refused to respond publicly, which infuriated Malcolm. And so, on his own, Malcolm traveled to L.A. to give an inspiring speech, but it was against the orders of Elijah Muhammad. In March of 1964, Malcolm announced his departure from the Nation of Islam. Shortly after his departure, he decided to meet with Martin Luther King for the first and only time to squash their differences. And that's when Malcolm took his pilgrimage, and it changed him. And you'll read about how it changed him, why it changed him, what changed in him. And when he returned, he started speaking at colleges and to white people, directly to white people, educating the people. But his departure was not taken lightly by the Nation of Islam. The FBI had tracked him since his days in prison, and they had spies within the Nation of Islam as well as Malcolm's inner circle. One of the FBI agents who was in charge of tracking Malcolm had this to say about him. Anyone who opposes the Honorable Elijah Muhammad puts their life in jeopardy. Throughout 1964, Malcolm X received death threats daily. His wife answered most of those calls. It became such big news that Ebony Magazine covered the story with a picture of Malcolm X holding a rifle uh, peering out of his window in fear. On February 19, 1965, in an interview, Malcolm X told reporters that the Nation of Islam was trying to kill him. And two days later, that's exactly what happened. I provided a video of a reenactment of the assassination provided by the amazing acting of Denzel Washington. About five minutes after Malcolm's assassination, there was an incredible scene that took place. Into the hall of, of the Malcolm X assassination sauntered about a dozen policemen. They were strolling at the pace one would expect them if they were patrolling a quiet park on a sunny, beautiful morning. They did not seem to be at all excited or concerned about the circumstances. And I could hardly believe my eyes when I not only read that, but saw the reenactment. I mean, here were New York City's finest entering a room from which at least a dozen shots had been fired, and yet no one, not one single one of them, had a gun out. And as a matter of absolute fact, some of them even had their hands in their pockets. In 1993, Louis Farrakhan was quoted as saying, 
Was Malcolm your traitor or ours? And if we dealt with him like a nation deals with a traitor, what the hell business is it of yours? A nation has to be able to deal with traitors and cutthroats and turncoats. And these were some of the conspiracies that surrounded the death of Malcolm X. In 2000, Louis Farrakhan admitted, I may have been complicit in the words that I spoke. I acknowledge that and regret that any word that I have said caused the loss of life of a human being. But a few days later, Farrakhan denied that he ordered the assassination of Malcolm X, although he acknowledged that he created the, the atmosphere that ultimately led to Malcolm X's assassination. And if any of you care to know my opinion, it sounds like a heap of bullshit. They definitely ordered the assassination of Malcolm X. Malcolm X became bigger than the Nation of Islam. He became bigger than Elijah Muhammad and Louis Farrakhan. And he was uniting people of all races and that's scary for a group of people that preach the things that the Nation of Islam preach. But I digress. Uh, Malcolm's funeral was attended by nearly 30,000 people. Famous actor Ozzie Davis read his eulogy, and this is what he had to say about Malcolm. There are those who will consider it their duty as friends of the Negro people to tell us to revile him, to flee, even from the presence of his memory, to save ourselves by writing him out of the history of our turbulent times. Many will ask what Harlem finds to honor in this stormy, controversial, and bold young captain. And we will smile. Many will say, turn away, away from this man, for he is not a man, but a demon, a monster, a subverter, and an enemy of the black man. And we will smile. They will say that he is of hate, a fanatic, a racist, who can only bring evil to the cause for which you struggle. And we will answer and say to them, Did you ever talk to Brother Malcolm? Did you ever touch him? Or have him smile at you? Did you ever really listen to him? Did he ever do a mean thing? Was he ever himself associated with violence or any public disturbance? For if you did, you would know him. And if you knew him, you would know why we must honor him. And in honoring him, we honor the best in ourselves. Malcolm was always viewed as a violent man. But upon his release from prison, he never had another violent act in his life. Never was arrested again never so much as a parking ticket. Everyone that encountered him 
preached of how bright he was, both in aura and in intelligence, how welcoming he was, how friendly he was, how caring he was. Upon his death, Martin Luther King submitted his own words about Malcolm. Malcolm X came to the fore as a public figure, partially as a result of a TV documentary entitled The Hate That Hate Produced. That title points to the nature of Malcolm's life and death. Malcolm X was clearly a product of the hate and violence invested in the Negro's blighted existence in this nation. MLK continues, In his youth, there was no hope, no preaching, teaching, or movements of nonviolence. It is a testimony to Malcolm's personal depth and integrity that he could not become an underworld czar, but turned again and again to religion for meaning and destiny. Malcolm was still turning and growing at the time of his brutal and meaningless assassination. Like the murder of Lumumba, the murder of Malcolm X deprived the world of a potentially great leader. I could not agree with either of these men, but I could see in them a, capaci a capacity for leadership which I can respect, and which was just beginning to mature in judgment and statesmanship. Malcolm was a peaceful man, a family man. He was adored by all who knew him. But he was always labeled as a violent man. And as I read through Malcolm's life story, his history, his accomplishments, I wonder who ascribed such an image to his name. I definitely believe whoever it was, they definitely didn't know Malcolm. Right. I will add my thoughts on his actual letter from Saudi Arabia on Thursday, as usual. I can't wait to hear your thoughts and views of who you thought Malcolm was before, or if you did, you know, if you did know something of him, and if that perspective has changed at all. Right. Let's have a lovely week. We've already finished essay one. Let's move on. Let's move forward, and let's have a good time. Have a great week, please, peoples. Mm -hmm.